Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Before we get into our conversation today, I thought it would be really cool if you read some feedback that you got from a message from one of your friends about our conversation. Sure. This is from a homeschooler um, that I've become friends with. And she says, Hi, Tanya. I just wanted to share how much I've loved the recent Roundtable podcast. They've really encouraged me to keep working hard at classical homeschooling. Thank you for the explanation of what classical traditional school looks like and why it matters. In current homeschool circles where ease, life schooling, and less is best is all the rage, I sometimes feel like the only person on the planet homeschooling all day, every day, doing hard things. The encouragement that you and MP provide is invaluable to me. Hope you don't mind the text. No need to respond. <laughs> if you're listening to this conversation and you find that there are questions that you have about anything that we talk about or that you find that we say something that resonates with you and you want to meet other people who are having those same experiences, always feel free to reach out to us and share that with us. And now here's our conversation. So in today's conversation, we are talking about the intellectual life. We're going to use that phrase, but I think we mean more than just you know, a, a very popular book that among people who like thinking and thinking about classical things is this book, The Intellectual Life by Antonin Sertelange. And that book is very popular. More recently, there was a book by a guy named Cal Newport called D Deep Work, where he kind of stole Sertelange's ideas and kind of made them palatable for a modern audience. We're talking about something like that, but maybe even more than what they were talking about. And I think that this, this term kind of gets at the heart of what we are trying to do as Memorial Press, as Highlands Latin School, as Memorial Press Online Academy, as Memorial College, and all of the, the above. So Martin, when I say the intellectual life, what am I talking about? Well, I think you're talking about the practices that you should engage in to facilitate uh, a, a life of the mind. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's unfair. And, uh, why is that unfair? You stole my answer. Well, that's uh, that's nothing <laughs> you do. You stole my answer. You pick up other people's good ideas. And do we have a referee? Good artist borrow, good Are artist steal. Are yeah. um, You'd said that about Sartelange and this other guy, yeah, so I right. did it too. Um, so, uh, you know, it, uh, and we could get into what those are. I guess you're going to do that. But uh, that's, that's my brief uh, stolen definition. Yes. So now that Tony doesn't have an answer, I'll skip over to Paul. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by the intellectual life? Well, I think it speaks to an attitude mm -hmm. for one that, that we, I mean, you use the word life, right? It's not right. the intellectual beginning of your life, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's the intellectual life. And I think, you know, when, when we, when you look, if, if you take the, the tact of act and potency, right, we all have this potential, this potential to know what is true, good, and beautiful. That Where does that phrase "act of potency" come from? Aristotle. Okay. Do we need to dig into that? Yeah, I just I want to know what it means. Okay. Whoa. Oh. Okay. Um, if let's let's say you have a child, right? There's a potency in there in them for them to know it, to know to know anything, right? And when that knowledge is obtained, that potency is changed into act, right? And so. Um, I don't want to use a bad example. I mean, the example coming to my mind is a, is a dog and a cadaver, right? The dog has the potential <laughs> to become a cadaver, but that's not, I don't really want to use that, that <laughs> Well, you just example. used it, so you might as no, well go but, forward. But the problem is, it's going from life to death. I want to go from, from death to life in some way, right? Like a seed, here we go. A seed has a potential to become a tree, sure. right? It's got the potency sure. in it, 
right? And as it becomes that tree, that potency is actualized. Is, okay. is, is I mean, to be brief. You're talking okay. about potential. Potential, yes. But there's uh, these are metaphysical terms of potency sure, and act, sure. right? So, and, and a human being, a human being has potency, potency to, to uh, do or be different things, right? And I think we all have this potency to, um, you know, it's one, one of the gifts that God gave us when he created us in his image to know. And, but that's something that we, we can't accomplish in the first 18 years of our lives. And so, you know, the, the intellectual life, when we talk about that, it's an attitude in, in which we are constantly oriented towards fulfilling that potential, turning that potential into act mm -hmm. and getting to know everything that he has, he has created for us. So embedded in your definition is the realization that you can't do it in the first 18 years of your Correct. life. And so you're connecting it to the educational project. Martin, back to you. What is the connection between classical education and an intellectual life? Well, I think classical education implicitly recognizes this potency Paul's talking about in the human being. I mean, we have a human nature and that nature, anything that has a nature also has some purpose connected to that nature, which is, you know, primarily to glorify God. But how do we do that? Well, you know, God gave us a soul that has an intellect, a will and an imagination, uh, all of which in the, the true, the good and the beautiful, uh, those sort of line up. And so, um, so our responsibility to, to be better human beings is I think connected to this idea that we need to develop our intellects. We need, uh, you know, uh, through reading and, and so forth. And we want to develop our wills to do the things that we know we should do and just discipline ourselves in that way and develop our imaginations. Um, uh, through the reading of imaginative literature, for example. Yeah. So Tanya, how does education itself do that? How does the classical education do that in a way that's maybe better than a, a progressive education or other competing alternatives? Well, just by nature, it's more academic. A classical education is more academic. And the fact that we're studying ancient history and all, especially even the young students that, you know, are learning just from the characters of all the people that have come before and their flaws and their victories. And um, all of that begins the intellectual life. And then hopefully, because we have grounded students in good reading and beautiful lit and um, great stories of history, hopefully then they have an appreciation for it and they are inoculated against trash. Well, I, I've noticed that in, in progressive modes of education, sometimes there's this overemphasis on vocational training. And that's something uh, we talk about right. a lot. And what that seems to do is sharpens the kind of you know skills necessary for to do a particular job, but then a person may not be equipped to, to think imaginatively they're maybe just more equipped to think kind of mechanically. Well, that was the first thing that um, the first thing that impressed me uh, when I found Cheryl Lowe in the basement of a church was her um, description of a classical education and how it was not vocational mm -hmm. training, but that if you give a student a classical academic education, that then they're going to be 
prepared for vocational training at some later time. And they're going to be better at whatever field they choose. They're going to be a better person and they're going to be able to accomplish more and they're going to be more ethical and they're going to understand what courage is and hopefully be courageous and, and virtuous in whatever they do. So it's just so much bigger Mm. than vocational training. Well, I, I think something Tanya said was it, it made me think about just how human it is, right? I mean, Tanya only referenced literature and history. I did, and and you I know, don't like math and science, <laughs> right? But there's a whole another whole another section over there. But <laughs> but I do think you know I was just thinking when your dis, your discussion between sort of progressive education, classical education, how that leads to the intellect, the intellectual life. I thought, well, the reality is that as as classical educators, we're, we're, we are um, sort of hyper-focused on what makes us human. So I think we talked about it in an earlier podcast about them breaking down. Some people break science down to, to, to such mm-hmm. intricate parts that you can't even see the whole anymore, right? And uh, the intellectual life is about becoming more human, mm-hmm. right? And so the very fact that we, we spend so much time in story and literature and history, I think also speaks to the fact that we know things poetically mm-hmm. beyond what we, what we can know through a microscope or what we can know through a telescope sort of, sort of idea. Um, and so I think that's, that sort of sets us up to go, oh, this is, you know, me learning is not just about my, my bookishness or, you know, my, my love for being a nerd. Um, <laughs> one of my friends recently um, reminded me that I was the first person he ever met that was happy that I could be called a nerd. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but it's but it's about becoming human, right? Yeah. I, think, I love that it's poetic. It is poetic. That's very nice. <laughs> I think that the goal being to be human, like you said, is brings about the the comparison I was trying to make with a vocational focused education. Sometimes that gives the impression that the the reason you learn is to do and accomplish certain tasks or to acquire more. Yeah, and further than that, it it sort of implies that in order to become a fulfilled human being, you need to be narrowed. Uh, and and uh, and become a cog in an economic process. I mean, it, it's a it's a very narrow way of viewing a human being. And if you don't, if your school doesn't view itself as trying to develop human beings, mm. that's the kind of thing that happens. Yeah, I think that's right. So, what does it actually look like then to have an intellectual life? And maybe more specifically. Martin, what does your intellectual life look like? I know it's very deep, <laughs> very mysterious. But Tanya will tell you it's very organized. Too. Um, <laughs> your <yeah>. intellectual life? <laughs> no, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, really, it 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 in many ways begins and ends with books. Mm. Uh, I, I'm I'm I, I you know I I'm, my kids are out of the house. I've been I'm you know grandkids now. So I have more time than I used to have. It was hard to do when we, you're raising kids. But uh, now I, I have time to read in the evening. And I mean books. Um, I, would, I would also include in that audio books. Um, and just, you know, I was, I'm, <laughs> I, uh, w- was in my, my library last night and I, I'm trying to reorganize my library and put up new shelves and all this stuff. And, and just the whole ha- having just a sort of love and affection for really good books and to be surrounded by them. You know, I mean, I I think if you don't have that feeling about books, it's hard to lead the intellectual life. 
Um, but to be to be surrounded by books, to read, to be interested in different things, uh, a broad array of things, rather than you know focused on one narrow little thing. I mean, we're human beings, and we live in this varied and diverse world, and. Uh, the the best way to enjoy it is to be interested in it and interested in all the different facets of it. I'm glad that you brought up books specifically to start the conversation because that's obviously a really important part for the f- four of us. And I want to come back to that, but I, I did want to mention too that sometimes I'll meet uh, adults or students who are like, I don't read, I don't like to read. And that makes me really sad because mm-hmm. it seems like those who have acquired the tools of enjoyment and curiosity for reading, their life is just going to be significantly better yeah, than someone well, who hasn't. I mean, I, I look at my grandkids, for example, and they all just love books. They've always been read to. They know the good things that are in books. Um, and they're used to reading. It's part of their lives. And if you haven't been raised that way, it's hard to acquire that. Now, I really wasn't raised mm-hmm. that way. And I, I, if I look back and I ask myself, well, how did I become interested in the intellectual life in books? I, it was just a decision I made one day. I mean, my wife will tell you we were dating, we dated in high school and, uh, went to college together. And, um, and she will tell you there was before this one day and there was after this. I just decided I wanted to be an intelligent person and, and it's two different lives in many no. ways. And, and really all my, all my, my daughter was always sort of that way, but with my sons, and I think this is common with boys, the same thing happened. There was just something went on, some light went on mm-hmm. and they became really different people. So would you share a little bit of what you're reading and what your habits are for readings? I always thought your reading habits particularly are pretty fantastic. This could be dangerous. <laughs> and, and not this that it's all so serious dangerous. reading. I, you want to whisper in my ear what you're reading first and I'll say if it's okay. Uh, no, I'm going to surprise you. Um, no, I, 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 my plan is sort of, you know, I have, you know, I have a long drive to work. So yep. I, I have a good two and a half hours really per day to read if I drive to work. So I would, I have a, a novel I'm listening to right now. It's The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco. Uh, I have a, uh, a history book that I'm reading. I'm about to finish up The Silk Roads, A New History of the World. I can't remember the author. Um and then a, a lecture series of some kind, and I'm listening to one from the teaching company on um, on the American West. Mm. And then if I finish those, I can listen to whatever I want. Yeah, and I have all yeah. the, I got a Louis L'Amour book I'm listening to yeah. right now. Yeah, uh, just they for fun. I knew the Westerns would uh, yeah. come up. Um, uh, yeah, and I'm just particularly interested in that right now. Um, and then when I'm at home, uh, you know, mostly I, I listen, I'm listen really, I'm, I guess history is, is nonfiction, but but I, I it's easier for me to listen to novels uh, and read, I need to read the books that I'm going to be under. And I just finished up a Steven Pinker's new book on rationality, oh, well. which I'm doing a book review on. So That's great. Now, Tanya, you and I were in the airport once in the little bookstore, you know, where they sell books at like $40 a piece. And yes. you were like, have you read this? This is great. And I was like, no. He was like, have you read this? <laughs> no again. <laughs> and we did that for probably 30 That's minutes. That's because you and I have different tastes That's in reading. Great. Was this like Danielle Steele? And, and no, no. Oh, no. Okay. No, it was probably Frederick Backman. Could have been Amor Tolls. Did you read A Gentleman in Moscow? I have not. Oh, Again, kidding I have me? not. We've had this conversation <laughs> a few times. So what do you read and what are your reading habits? Well, I'm actually reading Amor Tolls now. Okay. I'm reading The Lincoln Highway, which I think is probably the best. Hmm. Oh, I can't say the best. Well, I have this great friendship with Wendell Berry. So 
<laughs> so I can't say that Amor Tolls has written the best we novel won't. of the 21st century. I'm going to quote you on that. Don't, please. <laughs> um, but at least one of the best. I've got 60 pages to go, so I know and what And you're going to give that tonight. recommendation before you finish. Yes. Oh. I, it is so good. It yeah. is everything. I just downloaded it, so it 30 good. minutes ago. I'm not and, um, and I'm reading Dante's Divine Comedy, which I yeah. didn't get to when my children were in school. I read. I tried to read along with them, but I mean, it just when they get to high school, it goes away. I, there's just too much. They are so much more capable than me. <laughs> um. So I'm doing that with Kyle Yonke's little group, and we just read Daniel Deronda by George Eliot, who's one of my favorite authors. Um, and I'm reading a book of essays by Lewis Carroll that mm -hmm. Lee has recommended. I have so many books that I haven't read that Martin and Lee and Paul, I've got it now, I've got to get the Name of the Rose book. Mm -hmm that we've talked about. There's just so much. It's so hard. And I told myself I would not watch Hamilton until I read a biography oh. of Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> so very little in common, I understand. You and I? Oh, that too. No, I meant, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I meant Hamilton mean, the movie and Hamilton the book. Uh, well, I just felt like I should read. You know, I always tell people, don't read the, you always have to read the book first before you see the movie. I, the only time I disagree with that is Lord of the Rings, which there's no way I'm reading those. Oh, wow. wow, I did not see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> she just committed blasphemy. I, I apologize to everyone. Cut, <laughs> cut. It's just, I don't like that fantasy genre, but you, I had to go. I don't either. I chaperoned you taking the class to see those movie, movies. Yeah, you chaperoned and, Martin yes, taking the class? I chaperoned the class. Well, yes. Like, what time does it start, Martin? And we had like six different times. Wonder which one is correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think I think we can't say enough about just this this intellectual curiosity. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it is, it it, um, it it it's hard to manufacture if you don't have it. That's right. But there are ways to encourage it. You know, if you really believe you should do something, act as if you do love it. And you will begin to love it. That's right. uh, I've seen that over and over again in my own life. And, and then I'll read something on some subject and I'll realize it truly is interesting in and of itself. And I'll go find out a whole, uh, go look at for a bunch of other books on that same topic. So you, you can do it. I would say um, at this point in my life, I have been focusing on fiction. I feel like there was a section of my life. And this is talked about intellectual life as a, as a whole, Right. There were sections of my life where I was very focused on philosophy and theology. Right. And I've recently just realized I, I, I mean, over the past four or five years, I need more fiction in my life. And I was reading some fiction, but I always kind of felt guilty about it because I felt like, well, here's the meats over here and, 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 but fiction's over here on mm -hmm. the other side. And so, um, you know, I'm currently reading Loris which is, this is why I was recommending the name of the rose to Martin and Tanya's because Loris is marketed as Russia's answer to the name of the rose. Mm. So you have to first read the Western name of the rose to understand Loris. The and Eastern. The Eastern. And it's, it's fascinating. Um, but it's, it's a novel. Yeah. Um, but I'm pulling, I'm pulling the, the that phil philosophical meat out of it as I read it. Um, just finished the heart of the matter by Graham Greene. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal. Immediately told Tanya she needed to read it. Um, 
fin- just finished Daniel Deronda, did not like it, okay. but that's for our George discussion. Elliott. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get I, ranked I love, over the I like it for that I'm one. A, I'm a ton young. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I got a short story, a, a collection of short stories by Wendell Berry and different things, a book on dung beetles. Um, you know, I, Sometimes just, you can get too specialized. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, it's really Very fascinating. Curious. It's, it's quite fascinating. <laughs> um, I don't believe that. No, I, no, I'll bring it in for you. Tommy. No, please, uh, <laughs> no. I need to make a correction. Okay. I'm not reading a book of essays by Lewis Carroll. I'm reading a book of essays by E.B. White. Oh, I don't know where Alice in Wonderland came from in my head yeah. instead of Charlotte's Web, but yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, there's, a, there's things you, you find out about authors because I knew of E.B. White from Charlotte's Web, mm-hmm. uh, Trumpet of the Swans. Mm-hmm. And the, but he was the editor of The New Yorker, which right. was a bastion mm-hmm. of great writing, yep. uh, prose writing. Mm-hmm. It's drunk and white. White is. It's drunk and white. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, some of these people, you know, you find out you other just, things right, about Right. You them. have no idea. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, but the but, other. I want to finish my list here, Martin. Oh, sorry. The, I interrupt. I the, thought you were done. Well, the one point I wanted to make was this time of year is actually one I quite look forward to because I go hunting. And mm. while I'm sitting there hunting, I'm reading. Um, some hunters, they're like totally dedicated. They're looking at everything. They're making, you know, deer calls, trying to get them to come out. And I'm sitting there with my Kindle as quietly as can be, just, you know, just reading page after page. And I have read so many books out there in the woods and it's, it's just ideal. You're, it's quiet. It's peaceful. Nobody can interrupt you except for a deer coming by, um, you know, or a rabbit, you know, I mean, sometimes things happen, but it's, it is, it is one that I look forward to because it's, it's away from yeah. everything else. So pick up a book, go, go out in the woods and sit there. Yeah. And, and. We might pick up on this topic of where and when to read. I think that's yes. also important. Yep. But the other thing is we're talking about sort of fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some people who will only read nonfiction. And I really think that is completely insufficient in terms of, of leading too. an intellectual life. And I think, you know, I had a pastor uh, who, who told me when I, I mentioned some novel to him. He said, I, I really don't read fiction. And I looked at him and said, yeah, I, I personally only breathe out of one of my lungs. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I only use half my brain. Uh, you, th- this is such, such a narrowing thing. It's, it's, it, 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 it will make you into a different person. Really. It's, I think that's fascinating because I, I went to seminary and at seminary you run into a lot of people um, who were like Paul when he was younger or myself when, when I was in seminary who were thinking to have a serious intellectual life, I have to read the Summa. Mm-hmm. I need to read the Institutes by mm-hmm. Calvin. Yeah. I cannot read anything fictional if I'm going to really be diligent and serious about being intellectual. But then also I came to this job and I started meeting mothers of teenage boys who are showing great potential intellectually and they're getting excited about classical education and they do the same thing. Yeah. They're like, my boys only need to read what is mm-hmm. going to make them the smartest possible philosophers right. and theologians. Right. And I think there's just something so profound about fiction and mm-hmm. about the imagination. And I mean, you really, if you haven't read Anna Karenina, uh, if you haven't read War and Peace, you haven't read um, uh, Brothers Karamazov, Kristen Lovren's daughter, Jane Eyre, you can't become a full human being mm. in, the, in the fullest sense. These are these are essential works. They're not optional in the intellectual life. So you brought up the when and where conversation. I agree with you that it's kind of important to think about where you read and when you read. What are your thoughts on that, Martin? The back deck. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, but not in the winter. Okay. So, no, I mean, it, you you really, I think, have to establish a place or a couple of places where you you 
habitually read. Mm. I, I, there's something about a familiar place where you have done the same thing before that allows you to do that again and do it better. Uh, so, you know, we have a sunroom, so I have a, a, a easy chair out there in, mm-hmm. in my sunroom that I'll, you know, read. Uh, and then, then in the winter, my, my chair right by the fireplace, I got a little fire going. Um, it, again, it's quiet. And it's just a great place. Teresa, it, it, Paul mentioned you know got to be about you have to you have to have some solitude yep. here mm-hmm. uh, is, is extremely important, and you need to read in in the same place. Tony, you're the busiest person I know. When do you find time to read? I get up at ten till five mm-hmm. to read, mm-hmm. and I started doing that when my kids were little. And I would get up with them. You know, you've got little babies and you get up with them, and then you have no time. And by the time you put them to bed at night, you have no brain to read. So I started getting up. I would just set my alarm for 45 minutes before I knew they were going to get up. Mm. And and I'm still doing it, even though they're grown. I'm still, that is my time. I'm the only one up in the house. I do it. I read it on my sun porch or screened in porch in the same place. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it, that mm-hmm. being necessary, but I, that's what I do mm-hmm. every morning. And it's amazing, really, in that 20, 25 minutes how much you can read mm-hmm. if you do it every day. So Dante, when I get home from work, I'm reading a canto a day. I'm behind because I did that two-week school tour and got I got behind. I'm also and behind. so are you. Yeah, four cantos. I don't know how. Don't I don't even Kyle. know where we're supposed to be. But <laughs> I'm just I'm just plugging through one canto at a time. And I figure if I, we're supposed to do three a week, if mm-hmm. I do one every day, I'll eventually get there. And, and if you listen to audio books, uh, a great time to to read in the broader sense is when you take a walk walk i mean mm-hmm. i try to walk mm-hmm. every day now i don't always do sometimes i need the solitude and i just need to think and i'll write a whole article on a walk you know but but if if i don't have something i'm needing to think about or whatever then i'll just put my earbuds in and i'm listening to i do my, that as well yeah. yes and after i have my breakfast and read my 20 minutes i do an audio book for my walk outside mm-hmm. but it's a different book sure because i can't i'm not a good audible reader i don't pay good attention i'm reading and i forgot about this because i don't really count audible audiobooks, mm-hmm. which I should. And I don't really much count Kindle. I mean, I feel like I just need to hold the book, even though I do read a Kindle for books I don't want to keep. But I'm reading Anne of the Island because oh. your wife told me yeah, to. Yeah, she loves those books. Yes. Yeah, and this thing of location is interesting. I, when I'm listening to books, I have my my little order I do them in. I try to listen to them in the same place. Hmm. There's something I, when I think about a book, I will also there's something about remembering where you read it. Mm. I don't I, I haven't fully thought this through, but I've noticed this that when I think of a certain book, mm. I think of the place that I read it or the place that I listened to it. So I try to actually put my history book as just a certain part of my way home. I oh. just always do it when I'm driving there and there's just something about hmm. that. I don't know what it is. Sometimes when asking someone, what's your favorite movie you've ever seen or every book, I always feel like that question is unfair because it's like impossible to quantify what's your favorite. But sometimes right. I'll ask, what's your favorite viewing or reading experience? And I think that's what you're talking about. That sometimes you associate a certain time in your life, a certain place, a certain feeling that you had while reading a book. And that's something that's very important for being human. Mm-hmm. Paul, coming to you, what is your preferred location when you're not out, out there 
stalking the, the deer. And- um, I, it's the same as Martin. I have a sunroom sitting out there in the sunroom or in the winter, you know, I have a, I, the, the Ikea chairs, they're just beautiful. They, they lean back the, just the right amount to where you're still sitting upright. You're not like in a recliner, but it's enough to be comfortable. And um, so I got one in the sunroom. I got one by the fire. And um, that's, that's where I prefer. Um, I, it's hard for me. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I used to read in bed all the time, you know, and, and uh, I don't remember mom or dad ever getting mad at us for like having flashlights under the covers reading. It was sort of like, if you're reading, that's fine. Um, and, and I used to remember reading at length. Hmm. Now, if I read it, it's two minutes, I fall asleep. That's I don't remember what, what in the world happened. I did the night that before. too. As a teenager, I could read all night long in yeah. bed. And now, yeah. and some books are really just like the Lincoln Highway is like, it's almost 600 pages. So it's so heavy. <laughs> 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 well, the other thing is, and Sartelange gets into this uh, sleep. Mm-hmm. How important sleep is. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he recommends waking up at the same time, right. exact same time every morning. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter when you go to bed and I would, maybe at my age, it's different, but, um, but yeah, just, if you're too tired, it, it's, it's almost impossible to read. Yeah, uh, and you just have to get enough sleep. Well, and, and, um, you know, as we've built our farm, Sarah has told me I need to put like, I need to like plant a tree out in the middle of the pasture and put a little fence around it with like a picnic table because she wants to be able to go out there and mm-hmm. sit there and watch the animals and read or yeah. whatever. And now I'm sitting here thinking about this, like that, that actually would be, you know, very nice. it would be very nice mm-hmm. because it would also disconnect you. Cause I mean, talking about having that place to read, I think not only solitude, but also like the cares of everything else you need to do, mm. you know, you, you need to, you need to be able to ignore those things because I can sit there and look at my backyard and go, I got 15 things to do. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you have a choice between sitting in a, in a white room with a light above you and read, or, and I didn't mention my front porch, uh, or, where I, you know, trees and farmland and it, the sound of birds mm-hmm. that it, it really is better yep. <laughs> to yep. sit in the more organic place than this, than an artificial place. I don't know what, why that is, but it just, it just makes it easier. To Let do. me take over here. Just out of curiosity, do you think, so I find that I, when I'm reading a book, I can, it is just me in that book and everything else is gone. But when I am then 30 minutes later walking with with an audible book, then I I'm thinking about my day ahead. Oh, it is, is it's the opposite me? for me. It is mm. the complete opposite because I can I can be reading the words on a page and be thinking about something else. But if I'm listening to something, and I was just thinking about this because last Saturday, I listened to the heart of the matter, I think, in one day mm. as I was doing farm chores all day long. And I was completely exhausted at the end of the day. And I realized at the end of the day, I was dragging and I was like, what? But you knew what, what it happened, even what though you I were do? doing chores. I wasn't even paying attention to what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was I like, I was so engaged in the book. And that was my thought process that I, I very well, like, I mean, it probably wasn't safe because I was chainsawing trees and stuff. But I was <laughs> like, afterwards, I think about like, 
what did I like? I have a hard time remembering that day because I remember the book. Mm. Well, that is, I, which is why when you driving, it's great for driving. And mm-hmm. my wife and I were going to listen to the Lincoln Highway on the way down to see my daughter in Charleston. It's a eight eight, eight hour drive, and it goes by so much faster because you forget where you are, mm-hmm. um, and and it just it flies by. And you know, I take my little pretty rural route that I take home from the office here, and. I'll I'll be sitting there listening to her and all of a sudden I'll kind of wake up a little bit and realize I said I don't remember even going through Bloomfield. I, I mm-hmm. don't even because yeah. of the summer. So do you point. think though, so Paul and I are the opposite. Do you retain more from a book or from an audio book? Well, from an actual I, I, this physical is another book? thing. Those are two different experiences. Yep. And 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 I I mean I don't know that retention is really the issue. It's just that, it is that when I me, read, though. when I, I have, I have both read and listened to certain books and I notice things doing one that I didn't mm-hmm. notice doing mm-hmm. the other and vice versa. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're just two very different experiences. And you notice different things about, about the, the books. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that one's better or worse. It's just, they're different. And, and it's, I think it's also, it has to do with habit, right? So, you know, when I was, from like 12 to 23 and and when I was at boarding school and on and our meals were in, you know, in the, whatever we call it, cafeteria, refectory, I don't know what we call it, dining room. I think we call it dining room. Um, that would, that would make more sense. Um, but <laughs> there were, there were readings. We didn't talk. And so you'd be in the middle of like passing the, the, the food and, and, and trying, you know, clearing tables and stuff and trying to follow along with the book mm-hmm. because otherwise for the next six weeks as they were reading the book, you wouldn't know what was going on, mm. right? And so you you trained this habit of being able to listen no matter what was happening. Um, and so a lot of it, I think, is habituation. And so the kids that were, being, that were reading to them, they're getting more of that habit of being able to listen and pay attention to what they're Which listening to. Which is why to. it's so important in the classroom that yeah. we are reading to them, mm-hmm. but they are also reading yeah. to us. Yep. No. What do you prefer, audio or... You know, Physical. I, I was resonating with the experience that um, sometimes I I remember more when I read it, mm-hmm. but I enjoy it sometimes more. I enjoy the experience more. Like I read the mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, Walter Isaacson um, biography via audiobook, and I loved that experience um, a lot. Whereas, um, you know, other books, I remember having read them, you know, physically on the page. And I, and I remember distinctly where I was sitting and, right. and how I enjoyed it. So I, I just think it's every experience is so different. And that is you can, whereas with the physical book, you're limited, like that's what you're doing, mm-hmm. but you can get a lot done. And things that are tedious and boring, yep. you can get done with much more interest, well, like walking around a circle of sidewalks, which I do every well, morning in the dark. Yeah, the other thing is when we're talking about audiobooks, is making sure that you get a good narrator right. who's performing, not just reading, mm-hmm. who's performing the book. Yes. Because a bad reading will kill it for mm-hmm. you. It will. I've had good mm-hmm. books that I like I, Jeeves with an American yeah. oh, narrator. Oh, is, <laughs> I made that mistake and, once. And there are Ch- Chesterton books that that have an American narrative. I'm yeah, sorry, that doesn't no. work. The Robert Fitzgerald translation of the Iliad and the Odyssey, read by Dan Stevens, who's an actor who played the Beast in the most recent Beauty and the Beast, and she's from Down Abbey. Mm. It is phenomenal. I've listened to both twice, and it is it is fantastic. Hmm. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to be wrapping up here soon, but I have a major point that I feel like we need to address. Okay. One, so we're talking all about sort of our individual experience with these books. 
But I think a key part for the intellectual life is also getting together and discussing those. Mm, absolutely. I was gonna and, and I think um, that's something that, you know, we've got a group where sort of philosophically we'll get together and discuss philosophical things. You know, we've got the MP group that we do, which is novels. And, and it brings a lot more light to it. And I have a book that I've been looking for somebody to discuss it with for about four years now. <laughs> I think Mitchell's going to do it with me. Um, so what are the key ingredients to a good discussion? Because we've all been a part of a bad one. What are the what are the keys to a good one? I'm not sure we do a good one with you ours. You need four really good people in, in a nice, <laughs> nicely lit environment, no, preferably weird. on camera. Yes, preferably with food. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, yeah, I think this is really important, and the reason I think it's important is because you you have read this thing with your two eyes, mm -hmm. and that's the perspective mm -hmm. you're getting. But you get other people involved in a discussion, and they're all looking at with a different set of eyes, with a different. Uh, from a different perspective. So they will see things that you don't see. And I think just, just voicing certain things that you've, you know, when you, you read something, but if you voice it and you tell somebody about it, you're going to remember it more. You complete it's just going to embed it more mm -hmm. in your, and so I think that's, nice. that's the other thing that discussion helps bring about. And I'm sorry, I'm just not even your question. What was your question? Well, yeah. Are there key? <laughs> that's was, that was great. But are there keys? Falling apart here. <laughs> to a to a good discussion. What, what have you noticed that there were certain things that have happened in a particular group that's made it more fruitful? Well, the ability to listen. Mm. I mean, that, that I think of all the things people have trouble with. It's it's. I mean, you could talk and you could say something, but if if you're not a person who is listening to what mm. the other person is saying and you just want to get on your soapbox, that will that more often than anything else ruins a discussion. You have to be able to listen and to um and to say things that are not off topic, that are that are to the point of what everybody else is talking about. And and I think you also need a good uh either de facto moderator or leader, mm -hmm. somebody who um says, all right, well we read this. Now, you know, if you if you say what did you think of it? It, depending on on what the you know what the affinities of the group are, you can get people just kind of spouting opinions, but it, you know it may not be digging into the meat of what the author is saying. Um, whereas if you have a group of people or a leader, and and I've been a part of uh, other groups, I'm thinking of one in particular where the leader was trained more classically, and he's got a group of bunch of people that aren't. And, and, but he, he knows how to dig and ask more and more questions, but everybody recognizes him as the leader. So he can bring it to a deeper discussion mm -hmm. than where it would normally sit. Um, and, and as you have a group that does that more and more, then it becomes a natural thing for them to do. Right. So when we get together to discuss philosophy, because we've all been studying philosophy for six years, you know, decades, you know, um, you know, the six of us. <laughs> the six of us will sit there, you know, and nobody has to lead it because all of us have things that we want to like deep things we want to say about it. But initially, I think you need that de facto leader um, that's going to keep well, I that think we've track. had better discussions when we've had Kyle Yonke at mm -hmm. ours and he always comes with a list of questions that yeah. maybe we haven't even thought about before. Yeah. So another question I wanted to ask you all is how you decide the next book that you're going to read. Um, so, Martin, how do you do that? Well, I was I was giving a paper at the Chesterton Lewis conference in uh, Seattle in 1987, ways back, and um, I was rooming with this old Methodist minister who was retired, and he was this little man. He he talked kind of like this, you know, and and very un, unassuming, 
And at one point in the conference, he was, we were a bunch of us and, you know, uh, Peter Kraft was there and Thomas Howard was there, all these, and uh, Walter Hooper, who mm-hmm. ran the C.S. Lewis estate. So we would kind of, there'd be discussions, little discussions that were happening. Well, he was in, he was in the room with one of these and there's all these great scholars sitting around and, and the question of Thomas Aquinas came up and he started just talking about and correcting people on what Aquinas believed. And I'm walking out and I have a Milton scholar. I, who, I walked out the door with, and she said, who is he? You know, so I realized this guy was really learned and knew so much and had read a lot. I said, his name is Tom Shales. Um, and I said, Tom, it, I would really like to become as well read as you are. And I said, how do, is there a plan I could follow? Is there, and he looked at me and he said, Martin, read what you want when you want to read it. And I thought, I can do that. <laughs> but it was funny. And it, yeah. Really, that's kind of what I've done. I just yep. choose the thing I'm most interested in next. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I'm like writing an article or something, I have to read it. But, but if I'm just doing it for doing it, like most of my reading, I just choose the thing I'm interested in most. One of my favorite authors in the world is Alan Jacobs. And he wrote a book called The Pleasures of Reading in the Age of Distraction, which mm-hmm. is basically making the argument that you just said that the power of whim is the best way yeah, to lead you to your next title. The power of whim. Power of whim. I don't remember That's that. That's poetic. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other strategies, Tanya, for how you decide what to read next? Well, I've got way too many books. So I kind of look through them and I don't even know what I'm, I'm going to finish the Lincoln highway tonight and I don't know what I'm going to start next, but the I name always, of the rose. <laughs> I don't have it yet. That's I forgot not, to bring it in. I, Mm. No, I was going to get one. Okay. Do you have it? I do have a physical copy. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Well, so eventually the name of the rose. But <laughs> I. But a lot of it for me, too, is time of life. Like in mm. the summer when we're really, really busy and I'm working a lot and have so many emergencies through the day, I'm going to read a light murder mystery. Sure. I'm not going to try to read anything intellectual because I... I just don't have the brain power for it. Mm -hmm. In the winter, I like to read Dickens. I don't know why. I feel like Dickens books are always, it's cold. I don't know. I just feel like, I don't I get it. I can see that. He doesn't feel like a beach read to me. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of it does depend on what I'm, what's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. So now I've read a really great novel. And so I'm going to, I don't know. It's hard to follow a really great one because you you feel like nothing else is going sure. to really. So maybe I'll pick something light to get over the yeah. fact that I've read this really great novel. Paul, how about you? Uh, the only thing I have to add is recommendations, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes, yes. sometimes Tanya will come in and say, this was amazing. So, okay. So that goes up, uh, you know, like, okay, that, that sounds like a good one. We'll so go do that. you read? The Lincoln Highway? Yes. Because there's like 50 people in front of me at the library. And I don't feel it's one of those books that I'm going to want to keep. So, but if you lend me your, do you have a physical copy? Yes. Lend that to me. I'll read that. You, but I've marked all over. That's fine. I don't okay, care if you mark handle the organizational but, details. But, but I will say, I will say that, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I do not take Martin's modern day novel recommendations anymore. Um, <laughs> but I will take his, I will take his nonfiction, philosophical, biographical recommendations but I've just, I've he's, put He's those, only breathing with one lung. I've put yeah. those, uh, yeah. no, I read plenty of fiction. <laughs> just not, not what you recommend. Not your fiction. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been an awesome conversation about the intellectual life and about reading, and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram,